You know, last year on my birthday, and this tends to happen every birthday and Christmas, Becky and Elijah, like Elijah's going to buy me anything, um, come to me and they say, what do you want for your birthday? And I am terrible to buy for. Um, I mean, contrary to what some of you would think, I am exceptionally low maintenance. Um, I don't have a lot of needs. All I need is the latest iPhone. And I am happy. Um, and, uh, and every year I'm like, I don't want anything. They're like, and if you will know what that's like, that's frustrating, isn't it? I don't want anything. I have to buy you something. Uh, and so um, eventually when Becky and Elijah kept asking me what I wanted for my birthday, I told them I wanted a Range Rover. And uh, and every time for months they would say, what do you want for your birthday? I want a Range Rover. And so my birthday came along and Elijah presented me with <laughs> a Range Rover. Not completely what I was expecting. I'm praying that it will multiply 100-fold in the days ahead. Maybe I will plant it in the garden, but I got a Range Rover. And uh, I think sometimes prayer can feel a little bit like that. We struggle with prayer because we ask for something, but what we got was smaller. What we got was less. We ask God to intervene in a situation. Maybe a family member was sick and we prayed and we were believing for healing and we didn't get healing. Maybe a Marriage was falling apart and you prayed that God would restore it and, and he didn't restore it. And that disappointment can lead to us beginning to wonder, does this prayer thing really work? This prayer thing that Christians talk about all the time, does it really work? Because if it did, it certainly didn't work for me. And this morning we're going to be thinking about prayer. We're going to be thinking about how we can pray effectively. And in the 11th chapter of Luke, the disciples come to Jesus and they ask him something. They say, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. They've been with him for maybe three years at this stage. And I have to be honest, if I had been with Jesus this long, that would not have been what I would have asked. They've watched the healing, so I might have said, teach me to heal. They've heard him preach with authority. I would have said, teach me to preach like you preach. They've watched them do miracles. I would have liked to have been able to do some of those miracles. The water into wine, some of you. Some of you, that would have been a dangerous one. But, you know, that would have been a good, Walking on water, I would love to go to Port Stewart Strand on a busy day and just walk along the water. You know, I mean, that would be cool. Like, you know, there's some of those miracles. You know, the multiplication of the loaves and fish. Like, that would be good. The multiplication of petrol would be the equivalent maybe today, you know, that you buy five gallons and it turns into 50. I mean, that is a, that's a sort of miracle that I would want to be able to do today. But out of all the different things that seen Jesus do and all the things that heard him preach, they didn't say, teach us to preach, teach us to heal, teach us to do miracles. He said, teach us to pray. They had watched Jesus praying to the Father. And we read that often in the Gospels, that Jesus withdrew to a lonely place. He got up early. He stayed up all night. And they realized that the power behind the miracles, the power behind the healings, the power behind the preaching lay in his private place of prayer. That the power that they saw in public came from his private time with God on his own when nobody was looking. And we live in a really public world where everything's there for the people to see. And, you know, I always, those people, and I have some friends on social media that, you know, every time they have a quiet time, they'll take a, an Instagram picture of their Bible. And, and you're just like, you know, we don't need to, you know, it's time with God. We don't all need to see your quiet time. It's meant to be a time away from all of that. And yet we struggle with prayer. I struggle with prayer. 
Maybe you're all more spiritual than me. I struggle with prayer. I struggle with getting the time to pray, but that's not really the issue. The issue is I find it difficult because I get distracted. Anybody else get distracted when you try to pray? You, it's a bit like, it's a bit like eating right and exercising. You know, you should do it, you want to do it, and then you start to do it, and you quickly give up on it because you don't see immediate results. And prayer's a little bit like that. And I get distracted and I start to think about other things and a text comes through on my phone and I start to scroll through Instagram and, and I get distracted. But I want to pray. I know I should pray. I know it's important to pray. Sometimes I'm not completely sure how to pray or what to pray for. And yet, if we could only understand just how powerful prayer is. If we could only understand what God has given us. That prayer is what gives us on earth access to heaven. Prayer is what unlocks divinity and brings it into humanity. Prayer is the resource that God has given his people to bring heaven to earth. But we don't understand it. I gave Rachel an envelope at the start of the service. and She hasn't opened it, I hope. No, trustworthy Rachel. And uh, it's just a plain old envelope. And she hasn't opened it, but inside... There is one ounce of 24 carat gold. You wish you did know now, don't you? <laughs> Rachel would have had to take a sickie and would have been away up the road to Belfast again. There's one ounce of solid 24 carat gold. Now, Rachel has had that in her possession. It's been hers. She's had it the whole way through, but she hasn't accessed the wealth that she has. And I think that's a picture of a lot of us as Christians. God has given us so much power and authority when we pray, but we keep it in the envelope. And we never access it. And I think a lot of us is because we we have this. And I, right, hear me out in this. Because this has been my thinking for many years, or it was. That whatever God wants to happen will happen. If God wills it, so you didn't get the job, well, God mustn't have wanted me to get it. Things didn't work out, oh, it must have been God's will. If a car accident, well, the Lord must have willed that. Somebody gets sick, oh, this must be the Lord's will. I want to tell you that that is not the way this whole thing works. That's not faith. That's fatalism. God has given you gold. God has given you authority. And when you pray, it makes a difference. And when you don't pray, it makes a difference. When you pray, things happen that wouldn't have happened. And when you don't pray, things don't happen that might have happened. And I believe today God wants us to, to get back to the heart of prayer, to get back to what prayer's really about. You know, when all this shifting and sifting and all the turbulence and chaos going on in the world, God's doing something and he's stripping a lot of stuff away from the church. A lot of the, the glitz and the glam that church had become, a lot of the conferences and concerts and all of that stuff, he's stripping it away and he's bringing us back to basics. He's bringing us back to what matters most. The word of God, gathering with God's people, worship, holiness. You know, every single week, there's honestly, there's hardly a week goes by at the minute that I don't hear of a pastor who has been exposed for moral failure. And it breaks my heart. But I also just look at it and I think, you know, God is sifting his church. He's purifying his bride. He's bringing us back to things like the fear of the Lord. To, 
to compassion and, and evangelism, to those things that are absolutely core and central. And he's getting rid of all the stuff that we had put around Christianity that had really nothing to do with him. And one of those things that's absolutely essential is prayer. Prayer. He's calling his people back to prayer, especially in these days. Prayer is not an optional extra. Prayer is not something we believe in. Prayer is something we depend upon. We all believe in prayer, but do we depend upon prayer? And so this morning I want very briefly, and it is briefly, and it's a simple message, I just want to remind us of of how to pray effectively. And so the disciples come to Jesus and they say, teach us to pray. And the first thing he says is this. When you pray, say, our Father. He wants to remind us of who we're praying to. Not a dictator in the sky, not a God who is distant, not a tyrant who is capricious, but a Father in heaven who loves us. He wants to remind us that we're going to someone who longs to give us good things. Again, as a father, I understand that. There's very little that Elijah can give me apart from his time and his affection. There's very little else he can give me apart from his time and his affection. But I can give him a lot more because I'm his father and I have resources that he doesn't have. And I believe God wants us just to give him time, attention, affection. And as we do that, he wants to release resources and what we need most into our lives. And I know prayer is not a shopping list. Believe me, I know it's about relationship. But I think sometimes we have focused so much on that side of things, just chatting to God, that we've forgotten that actually God wants us to bring before him our requests. And we're going to see that very clearly in this passage. So God is our Father. He is, is close to us. But he's not only intimate, he's transcendent. Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And the church battles with this tension at times. We're all poly poly, the old man in the sky, eh? Big G up there. Or we go to the other extreme and it's just all about hell, fire and the wrath of God. And I think we've probably swung the pendulum too far that way. And we have lost something in the church. I think God's bringing us back to his holiness, his transcendence, his majesty, his reverence, his glory. That he is not like you or me, just a little bit bigger. He is an absolute different class. He is God. He is supreme. He is sovereign in heaven. So he's our father, yes, absolutely. But a father without power can't do much in our lives. But if he is our father and he is absolutely supreme and sovereign, then we can come before him in prayer. Not that he only wants to answer our prayers, but he can answer our prayers. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If prayers were automatically answered, why would he have taught us to pray that? If God's will was always automatically done, why would he teach us to pray, your will be done, your kingdom come? Because it's not. It's a bit like, imagine if Ukraine just went, you know, if God wants Russia to win, they'll win. If God wants us, then we'll just, you know, everybody just stay in your beds. Like that sounds ludicrous. And yet we're in a spiritual war zone, and that's the way a lot of us get along. Well, if God wants it, kesara, sara, whatever it will be, will be. It must have been the will of God. And God's going, no, I have given you authority. I have given you power. I have given you gold. I have given you the power of prayer to access my resources in heaven, my power in heaven, what I have for you in heaven, and give it to you here on earth. And we need to understand that prayer changes things. You know, I... I have a story that I love to tell, and some of you will have heard it before, but I, I just, uh, it's my favorite story for prayer. Where 
um, there was a little boy who wanted a cat. Little Johnny wanted a cat and he begged and begged his mummy for a cat and she didn't want a cat in the house, but Johnny kept going on and on. Mommy, I want a cat. I want a cat. You're not getting a cat. I want a cat. You're not getting a cat. And I understand the mum. And uh, eventually one day she was out hanging the laundry out the back and Johnny came out and he said, Mommy, I want a cat. And she was so frustrated. She thought, I need to get out of this somehow. He said, here's what we're going to do, Johnny. If God wants you to have a cat, he will send you a cat. So we're going to pray. But what, what they didn't know was this. At the exact same moment, half a mile down the road, there was a little boy who had a cat. And the cat had got stuck up in a tree. And they'd gone to his dad, who happened to be a minister and thought he could fix everything. He'd gone to his dad and said, Daddy, Fluffy stuck up in the tree. And his dad said, I'm not sure what to do. And so his dad got a rope, tied it to the branch of the tree, tied it a little bit to the back of the car and started to drive off. And the tree got lower and lower. The dad was getting prouder. And then... Rope snapped. <laughs> catapult. Catapult. Get it? Catapult. Boom, boom. Um, and just at that moment, there's a little six-year-old saying, Dear Lord, if you want me to have a cat, would you send me a cat? <laughs> Prayer can change things. We have been given so much power and authority in prayer. And we're going to see that as we go through this. And there's three things I really want to share about prayer today. Three things that I believe God wants to teach us. I want to be really practical this morning. I want you to go away believing in the power of prayer, but not believing, just believing in the power of prayer, but actually praying. I want you to go away today and to start praying this week. And the first thing I want to say is this, and I've got three things, and then we're going to have Holy Communion. First one is this, prayer is specific. Prayer is specific. So Jesus teaches them about the Lord's Prayer in Luke 11, and then he goes straight into this parable, okay? It says in verse 5, Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight, and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Prayer is specific. He doesn't just knock the door and say, Can I have some food? He doesn't just say, Have you got anything I can eat? He says, Can I have three loaves of bread? He's clear and specific about what he needs. And I always say this, vague prayers get vague answers. answers. Vague prayers get vague answers, and general prayers get general answers. The more specific you are when you pray, the more you will see God answer your prayers. Just in the first service, somebody told me that started keeping a wee prayer journal. And they said it's amazing. They'd never done it until recently. They said it's incredible how they look down their prayer journal and they can tick, 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 tick. Because they can see how God has answered their specific prayers. And I think that's a powerful way of doing it. That's one of the ways I do it. Let me tell you how I pray. I just not, but just because I, I think I want to be practical with you and let you know how I pray. I, t- I pray in the morning. My wife prays in the morning. You might go, I'm not a morning person. Can I tell you, Becky Cooney is not a morning person. She never has been a morning person. But she understands the importance of prayer, and so she gets up an hour earlier than she needs to, to pray. Probably because of me, but she gets up for, she has disciplined herself over the last number of years to get up at six-ish every morning, and she prays, apart from Saturday and Sunday. I give her a lie-in. 
But let me also say this, actually, just as an aside here. You know, I'm the one up here. Becky's the one sitting down there. But without her taking that hour in prayer every morning, I would not be up here. I pray to you. I don't pray like she prays. She prays. I pray differently. But here's how I pray. I go into my room. I close the door. I've got an old fake leather recliner that I've had for donkey's years. I get on my knees in front of it. You don't have to get on your knees. It's just, it's just the posture I prefer to be in in prayer. I think it helps me to focus. I put my phone away where I can't reach it. I open my Bible and I read two chapters of the Bible. I read a chapter from the Old Testament and a chapter from the New Testament. That's just how I do it. You might have a different way of doing it. You maybe have no way of doing it and you're struggling. That's just how I do it. So I'm reading Isaiah at the minute and I'm reading the book of Acts at the minute. And I just read one chapter from each of those two. And I underline anything. I have a pen in front of me and I just underline anything that stands out. And I think about it. And then I start praying. And I have a little, uh, just a little cheap notebook beside me. And in it I have a list of things that I pray for regularly. So the things that I'm constantly praying for. But before I get to any of that, I just say, Lord, is there anything you want me to pray for? And I be quiet. And I take about two or three minutes. And I just, anyone that comes into my head, any situation that comes into my mind, and I just jot it down. Sometimes later on in the day, I'll text someone and say, I was praying for you today. I was sharing this on Thursday night, that two weeks ago on Tuesday morning, I got a, a message on Instagram from Somebody I don't know that well, another pastor. And he just said, Craig, I was praying this morning and the Lord really put you in my mind and just, you know, I'm praying for you today. And he had no idea just that particular day how much I needed those prayers. I mean, it was one of those days when I really was anxious about something and I was stressed. And just to know that God had spoken to somebody 80 miles away and asked them to pray for me was so powerful. And so I just simply go through my list and I pray specifically I pray for what's on my list. I pray for the other things. I give thanks to him for his answered prayer. I might listen to a worship song and worship him for a bit. But I'm very specific. Sometimes I'll put a lot of detail there, sometimes more than others. You know, I, I, we, we, one of the things on the list for a long time now is we'd love to buy a house in the North Coast. And so I'm specific about the house. I could just say a house on the north coast. I said, God, would you give us a house in Port Stewart? And this is the sort of house we want. And to get that house, Lord, I would also need 64 more bars of those, that gold. <laughs> and, uh, and a miracle for the house prices to come down right now. But, you know, I'm, I'm praying. I've been praying for a house for in Port Stewart for over a year now. I'm not seeing it answered yet. But we'll get to the why. We'll get to that in a minute. But I pray specifically. I just don't pray for a house or... I tell him the sort of house I want. I learned that from a guy called Paul Yonggi Cho, who was a Korean who led the biggest church in the world. And he talks about how when he was in his early days of ministry, he needed a bicycle to get around. He had only about half a dozen people in his church, but to get around, he needed a bicycle. And so he was, for months he said, Lord, I need a bicycle. Lord, please give me a bicycle. Lord, please give me a And the bicycle never showed up. And one day he got really frustrated. He said, God, I've been praying for a bicycle for months. How am I meant to teach my people about faith and prayer if you can't even give me a bicycle? And he heard the Lord say this back. You didn't tell me what kind of bicycle. Some of us will spaddle with that theologically. If Elijah came to me and said, I want a bicycle, I would say, what kind of bicycle? I'm his father. 
And so he said, God, there's a particular American type of bicycle I want, and I want it. And within weeks, he got the bicycle he had prayed for. Some of us are way too vague, way too general. Why not tell God exactly what's in your heart? You see, I think part of the reason we struggle with prayer is we pray for what we think we should pray for rather than what's really burdening our hearts. As good Christians, we we should pray for certain, and there's always things we should pray for. But I think God wants us to get a little bit more unfiltered. I think actually when we pray about the things that really matter to us, we pray more powerfully and we pray more persistently. Like there's one thing praying for Ukraine right now, and we should pray for Ukraine, and we do pray for Ukraine. There's another thing praying for a family member who's dying. You will pray more passionately. There's one thing praying for provision for the children in Africa who have not, you know. And there's another thing when you don't have enough money to heat your house or to put food on the table. You will pray with more passion. And I think God wants us to pray for the things that we are actually passionate about, as well as all those other things. But I do believe he wants us to be specific when we pray. I really do. Stephen Furtick, a pastor in Elevation Church, says this. If you're going to ask God to do something impossible in your life, you've got to have some clarity about what you're asking for. You know, Jesus sometimes would say to people, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? And I wonder if Jesus was standing in front of you right now and he said, what do you want me to do for you? Would you go, "Uh, uh, I'm not sure. Writing your prayers down helps you to be clear on what you want Jesus to do for you. So the first one is this. Be specific. Second one is be persistent or be persevering. Be persistent, be persevering. In the parable, the neighbor doesn't get up, give his friend some bread. However, the neighbor doesn't just walk away. He keeps knocking the door. Look at what it says in verse 8. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, Yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. I love that phrase, shameless audacity. Other translations say shameless persistence or shameless perseverance. I was uh, at a meeting recently, about six weeks ago, with clergy and and our MP was there, Carla. And uh, I don't know, I can't even remember the conversation. And she just, she went, she looked at me and she went, I don't think anything would frighten you. And she said, like, you've just one of those people, you've got to, you'll just say whatever you're thinking. What I think she was trying, and that's not entirely true. <laughs> it was just the perception she'd had of me. But what she was trying to say is, Craig, you've got shameless audacity. <laughs> you've got a tenacity that when you believe in something, you'll go after it. And that's the way God teaches us to pray here, to go after it and not to stop to be persistent, and to persevere. The guy doesn't want to get out of bed. It's midnight in the parable. In those days, everybody slept in one room. He had locked the door. And anyone knows that if you've got kids or a dog, you don't want to wake them up at night. And so he says, go away. The door's locked, but kids are in bed. Go away. But that's not enough. The guy keeps knocking the door. He keeps knocking the door. He keeps knocking the door until the guy gets up. Not because he wants to give his friend bread, just to get him to go away. And that's not saying that God is tight-fisted and doesn't want to give. It's a lesson in contrast that how much more, it will say later, how much more will your father give you? We have a how much more God. But persistence got him what Tran wants 
didn't. And sometimes we'll pray once and we'll go, well, God mustn't want it because he didn't give it to me. Maybe God just wants you to keep praying. Maybe there's a hold up spiritually. You know, we forget that we live in a spiritual world where there are real angels and where are there are real demons. Book of Daniel, it says this. God says this to Daniel. I heard your prayer 21 days ago, but I was opposed by the Prince of Persia, also a demonic entity. But then I called on the Archangel Michael. Sometimes our prayers are delayed because of spiritual warfare. Whole other lesson for another time. But what I'm trying to say is this. Delay is not denial. Don't take delay. Don't take if you haven't got your prayer answered immediately that God mustn't want you to have it. I have friends who lead a church in Bambridge. I was over there speaking last Sunday night. Grace Generation Church. And they great people. And for years they have had this longing that God would give them the coach. Now some of you will know the coach better than others. But they've had this longing that God would give them the coach. And they've never let go of it. And they've prayed for a long time that God would give them the coach. And a few months ago, the pastors were talking to someone. They just they expressed, we would love to get the coach. And the person said, all right, I just happen to know the people who own it now. And this June, they're moving into the coach. And all they're doing is paying the rates and the bills. A church in the coach, folks. I love that. Isn't that brilliant? They had, God had put something in their heart a long time ago and they were persistent and they persevered and they've seen God answer their prayer. Prayer is specific. Prayer persists. It perseveres. And finally, as I finish, pray boldly. Look at verse 8 again. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Pray boldly. That shameless audacity, it means this, extraordinary boldness, fearless daring, insolent heedlessness of restraints, brazenness. Jesus says that's how we come before God until we see him move. We keep asking, we keep seeking, we keep knocking. We don't shrink back. We don't take the first no as a rebuttal or as God's denial. Be bold in your prayers. I believe God wants us to be bolder as we pray. When's the last time you prayed a prayer that if you were to tell somebody else, they would laugh at you? See, most of my prayers are manageable. Most of my prayers, I would love God to do it, but if he didn't, I could probably figure out a way to do it anyway. Apart from our house in Port Stewart at the minute. Um, I believe God wants us to pray prayers that there's absolutely no way whatsoever it could happen unless God intervenes. God is not annoyed when you ask him for more. I think he's annoyed when you settle for less. Because our prayers show the size of our faith and our prayers show our level of dependence on him. And so when we pray minuscule, pitiful prayers, it sends something about what we think about God. If Elijah came begging to me for 2p every week, that would say something about how he sees me and my ability to provide for him. 
I think God wants us to start believing for bigger things in our lives. I, and this, isn't, and this can be in all sorts of areas. It could be in your job. It could be in relationships. It could be in health and healing. Some of us have settled for sickness. And we've just assumed because we've been this way for 15 years, it's just the way it's going to be. Maybe God wants you to start praying bigger prayers about that. Some of us have settled in a job that we hate. But sure, it pays the bills. Better the devil, you know. Better not to know the devil at all, is what I say. Pray a bigger prayer. Pray bold prayers. Pray specific prayers. Persevere and persist in your prayers. There's a story I tell, and some people have heard it too many times, and some of you maybe have never heard it, but I'm going to tell it because I've got the microphone. And uh, when we moved to Dublin in 2011, the church had been through a particularly difficult year, or or years, seven years particularly. Um, And it was a church that had gone from about 350 down to about 50 people. And there were 50 wonderful, faithful people. But one of the issues was the church was in debt of 12,000 euros when we arrived. I mean, to give you an idea, when we had to pay our church insurance that year, one of our members had to give us a loan to pay our insurance, and we had to pay them back in three installments. That's how poor we were. We just... And so my prayer for the first few months was, Lord, would you give us 12,000 euros? Would you give us 12,000 euros just to get the break even? I thought if we can get the break even, that's a good start. We can build from there. Would you give us 12,000 euros? One Sunday morning, about two months into our time there, these two guys came into church and they looked a little bit different. They looked a bit more tanned than the rest of the congregation. Uh, they looked a bit more groomed. Turned out they were living from America. Actually, originally from Dublin. I got chatting to them after the service. Originally from Dublin. Moved to America 20 years ago. Found Christ or Christ saved them, depending on whether you're Arminian or Calvinist, when they were in America. And, uh, and 10 years before this, they had been, they were from Southern California. They had been in San Francisco and Northern California. And somebody had said, you guys are Irish. Uh, have you ever heard of this church that handed them a worship CD from the church we were leading? And they said, we didn't even know there was a church like this in Dublin. And so for 10 years, they've got this CD. 10 years later, they're back visiting their parents in Dundrum in Dublin. And on Sunday morning, they wake up and one says to the other, why don't we go and visit that church with the CD off? And they come in and I'm talking to them afterwards. We're chatting through things. And as they're walking out, Brian, one of them, just turns and says, so, Craig, is there anything we can do for you? And my spiritual answer in that is always this, yeah, would you pray for us? But here's what I found myself saying, would you give us a grand a month? And as I'm saying it, I'm trying to pull, the, I can actually see myself, I'm, tr- I'm trying to pull the words back into my mouth as I'm saying it. Shameless audacity. And they just smiled and went, Leave it with us. And I thought I will never hear from them again. Typical Americans. Never hear from them again. Just being really honest. That's what I thought. I genuinely did. Ten days later, I was sitting at home. Doorbell rings. Go to the door. FedEx are there. They hand me an envelope. I open the envelope. $15,000 check in it. 12,000 euros. Got us out of debt. Boldness got me what timidity would never have got me. Boldness got me what timidity would never have got me. 
And Jesus goes on in this and he says, if you then know you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, how much more will your heavenly father give to those who ask him? We have a how much more God. Your God is not stingy. He is not tight-fisted. He is not looking for ways to punish you. And this is not a bless me, Lord, club. This is a, Lord, you're my father. I'm praying for you to meet my needs. But I'm believing that you're a, a God who is able to do abundantly above all that I can ask or imagine. So that you not only meet my needs, but that I can meet other people's needs. That you can provide enough for me, that you can provide through me. And I believe God just wants to raise the bar of prayer in our lives. I believe God wants to raise the bar of prayer in our church. And here's how we do that. We pray specifically. We persevere in prayer. And we pray boldly. We pray big prayers to a big God who is able to do above all we can ask or imagine.